I think have lost that ability to be able to decide on a technical matter. So, you know, if you've been in marketing for 10, 15 years, right? 15 years when social media first came in, the tools that existed in social media in those days are long gone, right? But it- Hello and welcome aboard. Get ready for a new episode here to the Virtual Frontier. Great you have found a way back to the show. And if you just joined recently, do you a favor and hit the subscribe button right away so you never miss new episodes. Today, I'm very glad to have Anwar Yumbabhoy as my guest. Anwar is a distinguished speaker, author of the book Nine Entrepreneurism's Management Practice for WUKA World and a partner at 21CC Education in Malaysia. Anwar and I are going to talk about entrepreneurship, innovation, and leadership in the VUCA world. As we do live somehow in such times, I felt that Anwar would be a great person to talk to. Find out how companies can become hubs for entrepreneurs and how the nine entrepreneurisms can help you to not only survive, rather than rise to new frontiers. See you in just a moment on the other side. Hello Anwar, welcome to the Virtual Front. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, our topic today is uh, talking about entrepreneurship, uh, in- innovation, and um, maybe all this a uh, little bit in the retrospective of uh, living in a world that is constantly changing. Um, many of them call it uh, the VUCA world. Um, and yeah, as we could see in the last two years right now, there there's a lot of uncertainty into the game. And so I want to talk a little bit today with you about all those topics. But before we start, Anmar, maybe you would like to introduce um, yourself uh, to our audience. Um, who is Anwar? What what you're doing? From from where you're coming? And what makes Anwar? Sure. Thanks, Daniel. I I live in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, uh, which is a city. And these days, um, it it becomes res- less relevant where one lives because you know everything is happening virtually. My passion is really about entrepreneurial behavior, entrepreneurial practices, and and not just about starting a business. So I think there is a big opportunity for corporate leaders, uh, for CEOs, for for managers in organizations to adopt entrepreneurial practices. And that's the subject that I speak on. And essentially, that's what I do. I speak about how your organization can tap into the entrepreneurial spirit that exists in all of us. Yeah. Before we dive like into the topic of entrepreneurship and um, I would like to ask you, and I do it recently with all my guests, um, what has probably changed in, in your way, uh, how you work, or probably what has changed in the, in the, the area you work, um, during the last two years, how you have um, maybe adapted, what uh, struggles you confronted. Um, so just to get an idea about the, who, who, how everyone is tackling sure. the, the situation sure. they're confronted with. I mean, Daniel, everybody had, you know, we, 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 had, um, we went into lockdown on the 18th of March, 2020. So that was the first lockdown. And um, 
you know, we lived in the lockdown for over a year and a half. And like everybody else, you know, you struggle with how do you develop a relationship with somebody? How do you keep a relationship with somebody? How do you work when you can't physically see somebody, you know, and you can't feel, you can't get that emotion. And we all adapted to that virtual way of working. You know, we all became Zoom experts and, you know, learned lots of new software and put up virtual backgrounds and, and did uh, talks and training virtually. And we adapted with new tools. And I think for me, it was a nice learning experience, right? So you learn something new and it ties into being entrepreneurial because entrepreneurs have to constantly learn, constantly evolve. And, and organizations have to do the same. So there were painful moments. I mean, there were many times when, you know, it didn't make sense to get up and do something. And, you know, you sort of, when you had time, like everybody else, you sort of worried about, am I relevant? And I'm sure mm -hmm. that went through everybody's mind, right? In the office, when you have time, you chat to somebody, you have a coffee, you go downstairs, you have a smoke, you do something, right? So having time in an office environment doesn't seem to have the same mental pressure or implication as when you have time at home. And so when you have time at home and you're working from home, this sort of doubt comes in that, you know, am I relevant? Do I need to do more? Do I need to be more visible? Do, do I need to be more audible, etc.? And so those, those pressures come in at home, which you don't normally see in the office. So I think that's, that's something that has impacted uh, everybody, you know? And so a lot of yeah. people who stayed at home, I mean, find out that their task that they were supposed to do in the office wasn't that relevant. And so they stayed at home and had nothing to do. That's terrible. Yeah, for sure. Mm. That brings me also to my, to my, already to my next question. What, what do you think, or what do we need to understand more how the future of work is, is evolving? Maybe also already in this context and, yep. and yep. as it is an influence. Sure. No, I mean, you know, I, I talk about three waves of change in, in my keynotes. And one is the way that learning has changed. And the second is how work has changed. And the third is how investing has changed. And if we just focus, Daniel, for a minute on how work has changed, work has changed because now companies really need to understand what each individual does. They need to understand their output, okay? Because in the past, people got paid for being in the office. So in the past, in the world before, you got paid for being there. Because yes. when everybody was there, and stuff got done, people were happy that it was productive. Now you are not visible. And so companies are struggling with how do I measure what is it? What is your output, Daniel? I mean, you know, what are you doing? What are you creating? Why am I paying you, right? So the struggle comes on both sides. The struggle comes for companies to try and recognize what is your output so that I can compensate you because I can no longer compensate you based on the whole group and everybody turning up to work, right? So the whole compensation structure, we've moved from work for hours to, to work for output, right? And if you work from out for output, so people are going to more and more work for output. And, and that's essentially what the gig economy is, right? So you, 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 you produce something and you get paid for what you produce. And it doesn't really matter whether you live down the road in a different city in, in you know, a different time zone, right? So 
so work is going to be very much that distributed in what I call an unboxed world. You can live anywhere and you can hire anybody and they will work the hours that they want to work as long as they give you the output. And the implications are actually enormous because how do you recruit people? How do you interview people? You know, we're so used to, oh, he has a degree, he has this, and it ties out to the first point about learning, right? Who cares whether you have a degree, right? So how, how you work is going to change how people hire you, right? <laughs> do HR managers know to hire people, right? You don't have to work in the same town. You don't have to work in the same city. And then what's going to happen if that, that means that you've got to manage this distributed workforce, which does create problems. But the plus is that in each of these distributed centers where you have people working, the people that work are going to be passionate. So you are going to tap into people who are passionate anywhere in the world. And many companies are already doing that. I mean, I was talking to a company the other day in the cosmetics business. One founder sits in Hong Kong, one sits in Canada. The product is sold in North America. The, the packaging is designed in Paris. The packaging is produced in Shenzhen. The formula is in Toronto. I mean, and, and if you are a company that is restricted to only hiring from down the street or down the city, you're at a big disadvantage. Yep. One is because you, you can't reach all these people. And the second is all these people that work for you are extremely qualified and passionate. Because they're doing the stuff that they love doing. So, so and probably the, the, also the, the influence that they get from, from their, their, their environment, right? So someone from Toronto maybe wouldn't end up having the same idea in the same way that, uh, the person in, in, um, Shenzhen or in uh, Hong Kong has, right? Exactly. Different mindset, different culture. And, and, and the implications are on compensation on hiring, but the implications are also on taxation, right? Uh, mm. Whose responsibility is it then to collect the tax, right? If I'm paying somebody as a, as a gig worker or a contract worker outside, outside my country or my county, you know, are they recognizing, are they paying the tax there? We don't know. So, you know, what's going to happen to tax collection? And that's why it's so critical for tax collection to move to, comp uh, to, to, move to a consumption tax, right? Because you just, you can't, and then so whose, whose responsibility is it to provide employment? And, and if, it's the, the, if it's the local council, the government, etc., what can they really do? in this unboxed world. I mean, honestly, what can they really do, right? So everybody is going to be able to work from anywhere for anybody. Yeah. Uh, that's going to create pressures. The good people will obviously then sit very far ahead of the people who are not so good. What do you do with those people? Do you abandon them? So, it, you know, it raises big questions. So the future of work is something that uh, nobody has an answer, but we can see the uh, we can see the pattern forming, right? 
and yeah. as as uh, you know as uh, the the wise people say it doesn't matter whether it happens in 2 years time or 5 years time but is it happening faster than you think or slower than you think if it's happening faster than you think it's going to come at you at some point and, and so people need to start thinking about that right organizations need to start thinking about that governments need to start thinking about that you just mentioned um this this term and i i think i remembered uh, uh seeing you also with uh, this box uh, <laughs> what, what 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 do you what do you i call it the unboxed world you know the unboxed world we, we, could you we, elaborate a little bit on that yeah so you I, know, i love i love this so we used to live in this box world right so everything is defined yeah. by the box right so how much you can learn you go to university it's set structured finished there's a course you do it that's it in the unboxed world there's no limit to the how much you can learn you just keep learning and learning and learning and so why constrain yourself to learning in the same with work right why do you have to ever everybody come to work at eight o'clock in the morning and leave at five o'clock and work five days a week it's a boxed world because you're so used to box so an unboxed world you can work anytime you want as long as you produce the output and so we we need to start thinking in this in a new way that there are no physical limitations and and look at learning right do you really need to go to university for three years or four years or five years and come out and then you find that you're doing something different mm. so you start for three years and four years and you pay all these fees and, and so the the old model was learn starve earn i mean <laughs> That doesn't make sense, right? So the new model is learn, do, earn. Mm -hmm. Do short courses, do something, start doing it, start earning money, right? And and as you start doing it earlier and you earn money, you become better, and then you discover, you know, it gives you an opportunity to discover earlier what you really like doing. You don't have to wait for the three-year, five-year degree, then get a job, sit in a job for two years, and realize, hey, I don't like this. I don't like it after and then all the money, <laughs> all the money and energy spent already on. Yeah. So, so it's it's a, it, that's a challenge for 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 universities, right? Are they going to start having more modular courses uh, for some of the disciplines? Do you really need to spend three years and five years to, you know, to study marketing or or, or social media or you know, uh, some of those disciplines? Many of those disciplines you really don't need to spend all that time. No. And they I, I, they I, take you out of the the work environment to try and mature you. I mean what's wrong wrong with maturing you in the work environment? In the work. Yeah. yeah. So so the, you know we've we've followed these and, and there was logical reason for that, right? So in the box world, I send you to university and you just as long as you do the curriculum, you get a pass, right? And so everybody is kept within this band. And that was good. It served the purpose, but it no longer serves the purpose because knowledge has become so widely available. You can pursue it at your own pace. Why do you want to be constrained? I, I, I foresee universities are going to be disrupted, and yeah. employers are no, no employers are no longer going to ask about. Hey, Daniel, keep please show me a copy of your degree. Who cares? Right? It's going to be, hey, Daniel, come and have a chat. 
let's look at this problem. Tell me how, what you think about it. How would you solve it? And if I like the way you do it, I hire you. And if you don't work out in three months' time, I let you go. Right? So it's, in a way, it's going to be a harsher world. The good will really be um, able to set themselves different from the not-so-good. So, you know, like everything else, the future has good, has bad, has fortunate, has unfortunate. But, you know, if, you're if you have this entrepreneurial spirit, at least you start out and say, I'm going to learn, I'm going to develop. And that's what entrepreneurs do, you know, I'm going to roll with the punches. Some are not going to knock, I mean, as an entrepreneur, I, I, I realized that, you know, I was a pretty lousy entrepreneur when I ran my own business. And I sort of started two or three startups. None of them have been successful. And, and, and that was painful. But I'm an excellent employee because I'm entrepreneurial. So I don't wait for my boss to say, can you do this? Can you do that? If I come up with an idea, I go to him and, and I start doing things. And the organizations that I've been fortunate to work with have allowed not just myself, but other people to be entrepreneurial. So, you know, I, I started working in a shipyard in the UK and that was like the box, right? After a year, Oops. I said, you know, I can't take this. And I ended up working in Singapore and it was unboxed. Lots of competition. We had to upgrade. We continually upgraded. Nobody said to us, I mean, the only thing that somebody came and told us is say that if you're not going to be relevant, then you're going to be out of a job. But other than that, we found new clients, we found new ways of doing things, we upgraded, we developed skills. And these was all, all about being entrepreneurial. So why do we need to like rethink or reanimate this term of, of uh, entrepreneurship uh, or being like entrepreneurial? Yeah. You know, we, 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 we talked about how cycles come around, right? And, you yeah. know, before we went on air. And, you know, every now and then there's a new management concept, right? So the management concept says, you know, empower more people, your people, or have a purpose, have a goal, have KPIs. And it's, I find it's just tiresome listening to all this. Why don't we go back to what was at the source of a business and the source of a business was an entrepreneur. And if we can start to emulate what entrepreneurs do, which is having a purpose, having a vision, communicating clearly, you know, involving their people, taking risk. If we have all these things in an organization, you, you don't need all these, you know, silly Things that come around, you know, blue ocean, red ocean, the, the cow and the, the dog and, you know, this metrics and that metrics and all that. You, you have to start thinking about, like entrepreneurs, your business is in a continuum. As in any continuum, there are going to be changes and the environment is going to change because, of course, how you produce changes, what people are interested to buy changes. And so both are changing. They've always been changing, right? And so entrepreneurs get used to this change. They live, they're happy in a VUCA world because that's where opportunities come. And, and you right. can see that in the last two years uh, with, with a number of the businesses that have been more entrepreneurial, they've done very well, right? The ones that thought change wasn't going to come, the, the ones that thought that, oh, 
you know, we'll, 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 we'll get enough notice, got knocked off. The ones that were prepared and, and took risk, they're the ones that did well. What, what, what do you need? This, are there the key elements to be prepared for this constant change that is coming up always? So the change comes in two areas. I said. The change comes in how, how you produce, right? What's your output? What's involved in how you produce it? And the change comes in how people are buying. And you need to watch both of these. Can you make better? Can you make quicker? Can you make more? Can you differentiate? And then you need to see how your, your customer is evolving, right? And, and, and who knows all of this is your people. So if you are close to your customers through your people and you start to experiment and, and there's not going to be, you know, this golden moment where everything falls into place, right? It's a fallacy, right? So you keep trying. You try a bit of this, you try a bit of that, you get feedback. And so companies learn to need, need to learn how to take risks, small risks, try things, right? So risk-taking is very important. The second thing is to have a clear reason why you exist. Because when you have that and you can communicate that to your people, you will drive them further. And NGOs, they know this straight away, right? Why you exist for an NGO or a charity is very clear. A lot of mid-tier managers and in, in corporations, they have forgotten why they exist. And, and yeah. sometimes when I talk to these organizations, you have to remind them, well, why do you exist? And not this fancy, you know, my vision, mission, but in simple words, why do you exist? Are your people able to express why you exist? And is it something that's important? So you know, I worked for a budget hotel. When I joined them, they were um, a bit embarrassed about the fact that it's a budget hotel, right? So you have to rent the towels. Uh, you, you, you don't pay for air conditioner. You don't get air conditioner. Rooms are small. There's no phone in the room. There's no room service. But there's a reason why we do that, because, it, because we want to be fair to our guests. So we don't have a buffet. We don't have a pool. We don't have a gym. Because if you have all those facilities, the cost of that is charged to the room, whether you use it or not, right? There's a little green label that says, you know, help save the environment by not putting your towels for a wash. They don't give you money back. If you do that, right? So we, we, we started to tell people that we're proud to do what we're doing. We build small rooms. We're more environmentally friendly. The air conditioning goes off the moment you come out of the room. That's environmentally friendly. We provide you one set of towels every day because that's environmentally friendly. So there's a purpose, right? And once you imbibe this purpose in your people, they say, hey, that's a good place to work. Tune Hotel makes sense. Exactly. You touched already the, the keyword or topic of, of management, and I'm like deeply convinced that management as we know it is dead. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, how can we, how can we all, maybe I, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, but um, well, what comes next when management is dead? I, I not entirely. I don't entirely agree that management is that, but I think that 
old style hierarchical management is dead right exactly and, and you That's where and, I go. and you know you see that in football clubs right so the old style i'm the boss nobody argues with me everybody does what i say i mean that generation passed away with uh, or passed away means ended with um with uh, alex ferguson at manchester united and and i don't know the german league but i'm sure in the german league also they have this very dictatorial style of management which doesn't exist anymore so managers yeah. now need to empower their people they need to involve their people right uh, in a football team the strikers need to be better strikers right the, the defenders need to be better defenders they don't spend their time making the striker a better defender making better defender a better striker right so so organizations and people need to understand that everybody has a role we can't be generalists and as technology increases and sophistication increases in systems people in charge I think have lost that ability to be able to decide on a technical matter. So, you know, if you've been in marketing for 10, 15 years, right? 15 years when social media first came in, the tools that existed in social media in those days are long gone, right? But if you no. came through a marketing profile and you did that 12, 15 years ago, and now you're a marketing manager, and you still try to think in the terms of, hey, when I was there, I used this tool and this is what I did. And you start to get involved in making these type of decisions, you get them wrong. So the, 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 today it's far more important for managers to understand, to listen, to decide without that in-depth or technical knowledge. I mean, there are some exceptions if you're in drug research, it may be different. Uh, but in generally, you're talking about for managers, that level of touch and feel that they had with the applications with, is not relevant anymore. So there's a skill that they need to learn. Uh, how do you manage people doing things that you don't know how to do? <laughs> That's uh... Right. I mean, look at car racing, right? I mean, they removed... Uh, they removed uh, refueling, right? So, I mean, they, they, they keep changing. So if you start to think about how it used to happen in the past, I think you, you, you have a problem. So it's like entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, management, leadership, they're going to be there forever. It's just that it's going to be done differently. And the skills, the, the skills are, the skills are evolving. I, I, I think the critical takeaway is don't let your past experience or your technical capability cloud the way you make a decision mm. because it's changed a lot. So, so what we need to do to not just um, survive in in this VUCA world rather than really strive in it uh, and, and getting like out, yeah, in, in, in front or ahead, ahead in, in from times. Take risks, start new products, start and talk to your people, see what's capable, what's possible, right? Do things, do things differently, see if customers like it, see if customers are willing to pay for it. Because if you don't do that, somebody else out there is going to do it.
And by the time you find out, it's going to be too late. So all no. the, through history or business history, if you look at it, the one, the companies that try to protect their margins, that try, the companies that try to hang on to their business you know, for as long as possible, have lost it. I mean, we talked earlier about the car business, right? Electric car, I mean, you know, electric cars were the only means of transport in, uh, in, uh, in New York in, I don't know, early 1900s because uh, electric engines were simple. They started short distances. People and a lot of women liked electric cars, right? So then the, 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 the petrol-driven cars came in and then they had the, the starters for the petrol cars. So that, and then that took off. And then when, when oil was found in uh, early 1900s, they started building petrol stations and then Ford, of course, came up with the cars. And then the petrol engine became the, the norm for many, many years. And what did Elon Musk do? He said, you know, electric technology has always been there. Can we revisit it? And very successfully revisited it. And you, and you look at, uh, you know, everybody knows the, the story of Tesla and the valuation that Tesla is getting. Now, whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense is a separate matter. But he's, he, he completely turned around the, the paradigm of electric car, right? So why, is te why was Tesla successful? Because Elon Musk said, I don't want to sell to middle-aged tree-hugging people. I want to make an electric car that people buy, not because it's electric, because it looks good, goes fast. And that's what he made, a car that looks good and goes fast. Oh, by the way, it's electric. It's electric. Big deal, right? Whereas everybody else tried to sell the electric car to Fuddy Duddies, you know, uh, Nissan Leaf and, and all the other hybrid cars to save the environment, etc., didn't appeal until Elon Musk came along and said, and now everybody has jumped onto the electric car, but the traditional manufacturers got left behind. Because no, no, it's not that they didn't have the technology, they didn't think about the battery and the, cri the, the critical bottleneck today is the battery. And Musk thought about the battery very early on. And that's no. why he did the deal for the battery plants. Right? So just one decision. I'm going to make cars. I need to make sure the batteries are there. Isn't it, but also um, to taking or talking about this um, taking risks and everything. I don't know if, if I, if I look at, at big companies, right. Um, yep. You just mentioned uh, uh, um, Tesla, which I guess is a, is a positive example there. Because they're going full full in, like Elon Musk. Uh, I think there were several times in the company histories where they run almost out of money because everything was invested. And I see on the other side, so many big companies they have stockpiled billions of dollars on their accounts, and this money is not invested. And then you ask, uh, where's the risk taking there? Exactly. What, what you what you what you are scared of? Yeah. Um, why, why this money that you have yeah. made over the last couple of years is not already invested already in the future Correct. and, and uh, making new discoveries, whatever. So, so part of the reason is the reward system of the company. And the, the second reason is that 
the executives are so used to doing what they're doing, they don't want to think about something new. So they don't want mm. to get into trouble for trying. They don't want to get in trouble for trying something new. And, and in the car business, that's been the, that's been the norm, right? And so if you have a public traded company, you can't go to your shareholders, or at least these people think that they can't go to their shareholders and say, we're going to invest X dollars into building electric cars because the shareholders say, you won't be rewarded, right? And so that's the problem of, that's the problem of society. They could mm. easily have taken a chunk of money and developed the car. They could easily have taken a chunk of money, but they're so used to their exist, existing supply systems. They never thought about the battery. And, and even if, if they had thought about everything else, they didn't think about the battery. And you've got all these suppliers and you know, what are you going to tell your suppliers? I don't need gears anymore. You know, I don't need 80% of the parts that go into the car. So you get put into a box. Exactly what I talked about, put into a box. The box says I can only make petrol-driven cars. No. And other people just came along and said, no, I, I don't live in the box. I live in an unboxed world. I can make a car that makes the most sense. And, and you, you see a lot of the German cars producing hybrids. And hybrid's not really an electric car, right? The hybrid is just a little, no. little motor that gives you a bit of boost and qualifies you as a hybrid car so you can get some tax exemption. Yeah, the green label. It's not really an electric car, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it'd be interesting to see how, you know, when BMW comes with their fully electric and, and Mercedes comes with their fully electric, um, they've lost the high ground. And, you know, in, 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 in branding, the people that set out first and establish the mind share, the high ground, they do well. Everybody else still pays catch up mm. because everybody else is going to say, so how do you compare with the, with the Chinese electric car? How do you compare with the Tesla? You're no longer going to be, hey, I'm BMW or I'm Mercedes. Who cares? You ain't nothing in no. electric. Uh, and I mean, I just saw it. I just saw it yesterday. Um, there, there's this Chinese uh, uh, um, car manufacturer. Um, they have even they enter. They will enter right now the, the European market, and they not even go with charging stations. They um, where you go and plug in, they just change the, the completely pack. battery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you I just mean, go in, uh, change the pack, and then you go go and uh, yeah, so uh, drive. For, for, for China, the Chinese, have, I think, have been doing that with scooters for a while. Mm. And yeah, so it's an idea that evolved, right? Um, mm. You know, on the other hand, you're going to get these contactless chargers now, that um, induction chargers that are going to be fast charging. So that technology, yeah. I don't know where it's going to rest eventually. But the moral high ground of electric car has been lost, you know, by, 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 the, by the traditional leaders. Yeah. And there's nothing they can do that I can see to get it back. Because the executives don't have the 
risk-taking ability. The, the market is not going to reward them. And so they just kept getting stuck in the box. Isn't a, a great part of that, and, and I think that goes also in, in, into your thinking and, and your work, um, that we still have implemented uh, um, this whole hierarchical management that tells you what to do inside the company um, at what time. Correct. Um, what we already spoken about, right? Um, so how can we get like this this old thinking of management out and like the entrepreneurial spirit more yep. into into more minds or yep. more more workers into the company because that seems to me that we need to work on the organization and on on how the organization thinks and learns yep. in in the future because if you don't take advantage of that what what, what we're gonna what we're gonna do so daniel make a good point and 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 really what what weds what what keeps the company in a box right is your processes <clears throat> and the processes in many companies have been become so complex because over the years the accountants have added some element of risk they want to remove the hr people have added something to remove an element of risk the legal people have added something to remove legal risk and you've got these processes upon processes upon processes that most of the organization is actually handcuffed by their processes and nobody stops to think that does this process make sense <laughs> right so you've got a whole layer of people who are managing the process that are not in dealing with the customer they're not leading not dealing with the output they're not responsible for pnl they're just responsible for maintaining a process and you have to think to yourself What's the relevance of this? I mean, you still have organizations that are translating reports from one file to another file to another file to present it in a PowerPoint, to present it at a board meeting. I mean, you've got this huge layer of people in organizations, traditional organizations, and it's a problem for them because they don't have a sense of common purpose. Their purpose is just make sure that legal is okay. Make sure that accounting is okay. Make sure that HR is okay. Who makes sure the company is okay? They don't think that way. And when I worked in the shipyard in, in the UK, it was a closed shop. And so we had the union that looked after the, the, the technical people. We had a union that looked after the plumbers. We had the union that looked after the electricians. We had the union that looked after the steel workers. You couldn't do each other's jobs. You couldn't even talk to each other without going through the top. All a, a great stack of little boxes. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what happened? I, eight years after I left, it closed down. Because everybody's so busy worrying about their own little box, nobody worried about the company. And, and so it's, it's difficult. It's difficult because you have to try and reform this and you have to be able to send a clear message to your people that you're important we're not going to let you go but let's rethink about what you're doing because if we can't get rid of some of these processes that are hindering us handicapping us we're going to become irrelevant and i call these people custodians of procedure that's their job they just make sure that the procedure is followed yeah. no relevance It's a, it's a major problem. 
So just like picking a little bit on that, but how can we really get this entrepreneurial spirit into the minds of the people and in, in, in maybe in the mid midterm, long-term, seeing into the future of work where we yeah, have left this boxes and, and I think the, the organization yeah. and, uh, as something un unfolded and or, or, or fo folding all the time, <laughs> but in different direction, in different ways. You, you, you have to start at the top and if you start to look at which processes don't make sense. Mm. How can you use technology and you really want to get rid of everybody that just manages somebody else, who manages somebody else, who manages somebody else, who reports to the somebody else. I mean, you've got to start there. You've got to start peeling away all these unnecessary, unnecessary layers. You've got to start removing them, listening to your people, and give, give prominence to the people who deal with the customer. Give prominence to people who bring in P&L. Because what tends to happen is that companies become so afraid of taking risk that the people in HR, finance, and legal very often override the operations people. I mean, I feel, I feel that because I come from an operating background and when you deal with the customer, you're always bumping into somebody from HR and somebody from accounting and somebody from legal who says you can't do this. And you're trying mm. to explain to them that this makes perfect sense for the organization. It makes perfect sense for the customer. They still say you can't do this. And who does the boss side with? The boss sides with them. And so if you are an organization and you find that your balance has shifted away from your operating people to your support people, you're in trouble. Because the operating yeah. people give you the revenue, not your support people. Uh, that, that's, that's the point where I think the value chain had, had to, has to go the other, other way around. So. Um, the, the circles that are mo most close to the customers, they, they, will, they, will pay or, um, they will pay to HR or accounting. So they, they, they need the, the, the HR and, and um, whatever other department, which is not a value-producing uh, department of the, of the organization, has, ha has to prove their own value and, and ser serve the outer circles that are, are right. really in, in right. touch with the customers and producing those values. And some, some of the, you know, some progressive companies, some MNCs, they've decentralized the HR function. They've put HR people into the business units so that they understand what the business needs. Mm. And they can make sure the HR part of it happens. Right? So, Basically, you've got to change something and you've got to become more customer focused, more revenue focused, and less obsessed with process. You know, the answer in, organ in your organization, if when you ask, can we do it this way? And somebody says, no, because we have a process for that. That's the time maybe you've got to think about, this is not the organization for me. Because if you cannot really honestly give an answer, without having to say, you know, my mother told me, my father told me. <laughs> uh, why? No. Right? And, and, and you see that in, in personal life, right? In your life when you went through and, and somebody gave you that answer when you were younger, 
you ask the question why and you expected an answer and if you did, if you got an answer saying oh because we've always done it this way that didn't make sense to you now why in an organization should it make sense to you now when your personal life it didn't make sense to you but if you go into exactly. an organization and that's why i say that you know companies want to hire people with entrepreneurial mindset with the energy with the the passion but once they hire you, they say, hey, sorry, Daniel, don't bring that stuff in here. <laughs> yeah, here, we just do the, we follow the rules. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh. and these large organizations, how on earth are they going to hire people? They're not going to be able to hire people. You know, they're just no, not going to be able to hire the, people. I mean, look at, the, yeah. look at how well Microsoft has come back after, after, uh, um, after, Bill, after Bill Gates' uh, legacy, right? So Steve Ballmer, in my mind, Steve Ballmer felt his job was to protect the Gates legacy. Only sell Windows, only sell prepackaged. And, and he, anything that was interfering with that revenue flow, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. What did Satanya Adela come in and do? He said, everything is open. We can do anything. And look at their stock price today. Look at their product range today. I mean, some of it is not great. But, but he's transformed the organization, right? It's become, he's able to hire people that previously wanted to go to Google or Amazon. Hmm. Because he's willing to experiment, to try new products, the whole uh, embracing of the internet is happening with Satya Nadella. Right? Balmer prevented it. Now, I don't know whether Bill Gates told him to not to do it or he decided not to do it. Whichever way it happened, it didn't happen in his watch. No. And only when he left, did suddenly they realized, hey, they've got a heck of a lot of talent in the organization. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> and if, uh, this, this would all already be my last question for today, but we, we can keep going and, and spinning around that. But um, if, if you put yourself, uh, whatever, five, 10 years into the future, what, what, what will the future of work uh, will look like uh, where, where we are with all, all the changes that's happening, the patterns that yep. are building up right now? What, 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 what do you see uh, has, has evolved in, in this time frame? I, I hope that we will see a lot more mid-sized organizations collaborating to produce products. So I think we, the world will be a better place if we have more companies rather than less companies mm. and collaborating and each finding their own area of expertise because then the wealth distribution is, is greater, right? If everybody works for Microsoft and Amazon and, 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 and uh, Google, then the wealth distribution That's is... boring. Yeah, I mean, the wealth, wealth distribution is also limited, right? So you want more companies, more people, you want, uh, you want a lot more mid-size entrepreneurial companies. And in a way, it's easier to be entrepreneurial in a mid-size company, right? Because as your company grows, you worry about risk and then, you know, the custodians of procedure become more important and the, the stock market, you know, reacts to every decision that the CEO makes. So I think the world would be a better place with a lot of small companies rather than a few large companies. And, and you touched also something which I, I really hope that will happen in, in the near future, 
and and it's still not really seen but is this um company o over the company's uh, borders uh, collaboration so the, the collaboration between different companies in different areas like something really fluid yes. where, where companies come together in in hubs whatever and yeah. figure out something um uh, a problem to solve which they couldn't solve alone but then they find maybe a, a, a new company or organization that is working exactly on that and like this, all these uh, possibilities of combination of of, of knowledge in, in the near future. When when this this borders of of so, yeah, this so is Daniel, my company is, and we work. Is, we we talked before we came on live, but so is this the metaverse? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I, the, 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 the metaverse. Uh, if we talk about that, could be could be an could be a form of a, of an hub, right? Or or where where companies come together in a, as a, in a place, maybe. Yeah. Whatever, whatever serves to 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 eliminate this this border and frontiers. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, as we talk about the future work, as people become more uh, connected, you know, relationships are, and and that's what I've said, you know, at the start of the pandemic, that although borders are closed, it, the, the the relationships are open, right? So all we've done is close physical borders. Mm. In actual fact, we've opened up endless borders. So we're having this conversation now. You and Malaysia, we, New we, Mexico. Yeah, I mean, we didn't need to meet for a coffee first and see whether we got on with each other. We just ping each other and say, hey, let's uh, fix the time, right? So that casualness, that ability to connect with people has been a major plus from the pandemic. It would not have happened without the pandemic. So the pandemic has, uh, has accelerated our willingness and our ability to talk to anybody anywhere without yeah. having the formality of, hey, and it's, you know, it's, it's removed the geographical, uh, the geographical advantage that some people have, right? So if I needed to have a coffee with you or uh, a lunch with you before, having a meeting, I would never be able to do it. But now, nobody expects <laughs> you drink your coffee, I drink my coffee. <laughs> That's the point, yeah. And, and I, I already really enjoyed the, the past two years or two and a half years, let's say. Um, what you just mentioned with this knowledge that is not just a bound to some geographical location, um, there were so many, uh, events and meetups before the pandemic, they were just held locally. You never would, uh, uh, get in because they held it in, in Berlin, in New York, in Kuala Lumpur. And there, this is supposed to like knowledge maintained in this location. Probably you get, they make a, um, a recording, but yep. it yep. was not like, not like this. And now everything is open. And I attended so many meetings in, in all the countries in the world, uh, um, from Australia to New York, Mexico, yes. Berlin. Uh, and this was like a real mix and, and, uh, great uh, fountain of, of knowledge that, that I discovered during the last That's two true. years. Because every, every, everyone is now online and we do Zooms and meetings and podcasts. Cool. So, yeah. No, it's been great, Daniel. Yep. 
any any closing words or or uh, uh, th some thought that comes to your mind that you would like to share or give give to our I, audience? Uh, yeah, I think think about how you as an employee can be entrepreneurial. If you're an employee, you know, don't wait to be asked. Think of things that you can do differently that benefit the company. And if you're a leader, be prepared to answer why you want things done in a certain way. And be prepared to answer why you exist as an organization. Because, I mean, we're living through the great resignation, right? Lots and lots of people are changing jobs and changing jobs, not because, well, a lot of people are changing jobs uh, because of the money, but in, especially in America, but a lot of people are also changing jobs because they want to be respected. They want to work in organizations that treat them fairly. And if you want to hire ten of talent and you are an old world company, it's not about having a latte bar and, you know, pool tables. It's about how you work. If you're not prepared to fundamentally change how you work, how you treat people, you're not going to hire talent. Yeah. Anwar, thank you very much for your time. It was a It's wonderful a conversation. Um, I hope we can do this uh, sometime in the future again. I look forward to that. Have a nice afternoon there. All right, Daniel. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Back we are for my exciting trip into Anwar's outlook on the future of work and entrepreneurship in the 21st century. To get deeper knowledge about what it takes to make a difference as an entrepreneur in the current times, I encourage you to grab a copy of Anwar's book. Find the link in the show notes below. We hope you found this session helpful and you have now some new tools and insights on how to create a better workplace for the future. What do you have missed in this episode? How can we do better? Let us know in the comments and reviews. And as always, before you leave, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumb up and share this episode around with your friends and colleagues. Your action helps us to grow this show and keep you informed and updated on trending topics about the future of work. On behalf of the team here at the Virtual Frontier, I want to thank you for listening. So, Until the next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.